Congregation of First Baptist Church, it's Wednesday. It's time for our Bible study. I hope you're tuning in and you're learning in the book of Ephesians. As we begin tonight, uh, I want to do a little reviewing from chapter 2, or chapter 3, excuse me, before we get into chapter 4. And we learned that a lot of things in chapter 3, Paul's mission to the Gentiles, for example. And the last thing we learned uh, was the fact that there is, he wanted for the Ephesian people to continue to grow in their faith. And he talks about this at the end of chapter 3. Uh, about praying for them, that they would be renewed in their inner spirit, that is the new man. And you know, when we're saved, we have now two natures. A lot of people don't understand this. But you are now, you have a sinful nature, and you have the divine nature that God has given you, the new birth. And these natures are constantly battling one another. As Paul said, the the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're they're at war with each other. And we find ourselves sometimes spiritually in turmoil. Sometimes as as sin in our body is fighting against the spirit and and likewise. And And it can be a very difficult thing for us. What helps us to keep the spirit in control are several things. One is very simply, what do you feed the two natures? Uh, If you feed your sinful nature lustful things, fleshly things, then it will be stronger. If you feed your spiritual nature the Word of God, prayer, fellowship, church, you know, you're wrapped up in, in spiritual things, that feeds the new nature. And so... Which controls you, basically, is which one you feed the most. And we have to remember that and be, be cautious of that. And he talks about them experiencing through the inner man some great things, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Now, see, he talks about the inner man, then he says that Christ may dwell in your heart. Well, and I would like to say rule in your heart, too. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. And then he starts talking about the things that you can understand spiritually. You can understand what is the breadth, length, the depth, and height of love of Christ. We can understand more of the love of Christ, understand more about Christ as we spiritually grow. There are a lot of things that I understand now in the realm of doctrine and the Word of God that I didn't understand 30 years ago. Why? That's called Christian growth. And as we grow in the Spirit, we learn more. We learn things, and that's what he's talking about. And, and he wants this for the Ephesian church. He wants them to grow. And he says, finally, to, unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And I explained in the sermon what that means. Super abundantly. He wants to do something very supernatural through us and in us. And I can guarantee you the things that he's done in my life have been no less than supernatural. Let's go in and let's look at some things. Let's do a little review of the book. What kind of church was Ephesus? Let's ask ourselves, 
What kind of church was Ephesus? Well, it certainly was not like the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had moral issues. They were beset because they were Christians that were feeding the carnal part. And Paul talks about that. He says, you walk as men. You look like unbelievers. You're so, you're so unspiritual that you walk as men. You look like, you, you might as well just be unbelievers the way you're living. Well, it's not like the Corinthian church because the Ephesian church was a very obedient church, a very godly church. It wasn't like the Colossian church. What, what was wrong with the Colossians? Were they immoral? No. They were doctrinally impure. They had so many false doctrines floating around. And Paul had to write them to correct all of the problems they had doctrinally. Well, Ephesus didn't have any of those problems. Basically, it was a church without any problems or issues. That doesn't mean they would always remain that way. And so, looking forward into the book, we understand this is the kind of church it is. It's, it doesn't have any problems at the moment. It is a good church, a godly church. A doctrinally pure church, and so the best kind of church. Uh, Paul emphasizes what quality with them that they eventually lost. They eventually did have a spiritual problem, and what quality was Paul emphasizing with them that they lost? And it's found in chapter 3, verse 19. <clears throat> the very quality he's imploring them to examine and go deeper with. The love of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And then over Revelation, you've lost your first love. So <clears throat> the very quality that Paul is imploring them to get into is the very quality, spiritual quality, that they eventually lost. And by the way, over in Revelation, it says they were still a good church, still doctrinally pure, all that, but they had a spiritual issue. <clears throat> what was the mystery never before revealed? That was the church. That Jew and Gentile would be one. That we would all be one in the church. And then, chapter 3, verse 11, 11, that everything is done according to God's eternal purpose, which he purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord. That tells us so much. And we need to understand that everything, even today, as we look in our world, we say, oh, this world's in a... A state of chaos. True. Man has put it in a state of chaos, but through this, God is going to work through the chaos of this world to bring about his plan and his purpose. God is still at work. God is very much at work in the world today. Uh, he is working unseen often by us. We don't understand what's going on. But God knows, and he's... Everything is according to his plan and his eternal purpose. And we, therefore, because of that, don't need to do a lot of worrying. I know we do a lot of worrying. We're very concerned. And nothing wrong with concern. Nothing wrong with praying. But to sit around and, 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 and sweat and uh, wring our hands and, and worry a lot and lose sleep, that's not what God wants for us. God wants us for us to rest in him just like the disciples in the storm he wants, don't look at the storm, look at him. And so, you know, understand that. 
Everything's according to his purpose. Okay, chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And he is a prisoner of the Lord. Uh, it's interesting, he calls himself a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. And here, he in chapter 3, he calls himself a prisoner for the Gentiles. But here, he is a prisoner of the Lord. It means he's in bonds. He's in bonds for Jesus Christ. Metaphorically, he is saying, this applies to someone who follows Christ, that we're in bonds to him. In other words, we're so devoted that we're slaves bound to his will. Not only out of obligation do we do this, but out of love. And it says in Philippians 2.7 that Jesus took upon the form of a servant. Paul and Jude say the same thing in their epistles, that they were slaves of Jesus Christ. They are simply following the example of our Lord, who took upon himself, again, the form of a servant or a slave. And then he says he walks worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, they're all, we're all called. Now that's, that's something we need to understand, church. That's a big issue. God did not call you as a Christian to come sit on the pew. Although you need to sit on the pew. That's not God's calling for you. That's, that's the obligation that God gives to every believer. To not forsake the assembling of themselves together. That's a command. That's not God's calling. God's calling for you is to serve Him. To, to do for Him. To be involved in the work of God. And we get this thing, well, you know, I'm a member of the church, come sit on the... But He said, walk worthy of the vocation... The calling, and that's what vocation means here. It literally means the calling wherewith you are called. Now, he's not saying we should be absolutely devoted to Christ because oftentimes when we begin serving, we're not. I have to admit that. Not devoted by our standards, but the example is, is Christ our master, and here's the example, is Christ our master, are we a slave? Are we, are, is our will submitting to him? Are we saying, Lord, my life is yours. You can do with it as you will. I'll do what you ask me to do. Anything you want me to do. Now listen, being a servant of God is not meant to be demeaning in any way. Because someday we're going to be priests and kings in eternity. Amen? We're going to be priests and kings in glory. So if you think being in this life a slave for Jesus is a bad thing, you know, just remember, you're a royal priesthood, a holy people, God calls us, and we're going to be kings and priests in eternity. We're a royal priesthood. God says you're royalty. But you're also servants. Was Jesus a servant? Yes. Was he also royalty? Yes. <laughs> he was the king of kings. But he was also a servant. Made himself the form of a servant. So, 
Don't be afraid to say, and don't feel like he's demeaning you in any way. God's not demeaning you. He's just saying you have to have, that's the level of devotion we need. Now, you say, Pastor, are you absolutely a slave for Christ all the time? No, I'm not. I have not arrived in my spiritual destination yet. Okay? And nor have any of us. But the question is, are you working toward that? You see, going back to chapter 3, he was encouraging the Ephesians to work toward a spiritual improvement and growth. It's talking about growth here. And no Christian just becomes, it's like somebody said, if you want to be a squash Christian, you can be turned out in three months. But if you want to be a tree planted by the water, like an oak tree with deep roots, then it takes 100 years. So, you know, you might want to think about that one. Uh, it takes t- God time sometimes, and I understand that. God is patient. But folks, God is calling us to his holy calling. But we have to answer that call. We have to answer that. We have to say yes to God. And hopefully at the end of this Bible study tonight, I hope that you will take some time and pray. And just spend some time in prayer and say, God... What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in the church? How can I serve you? How can I serve others? What can I do to serve Jesus Christ more and better? Well, you know, that's a good start. Amen. And so we're going to be, so don't feel demeaned. Uh, And how do you do that? Verse 2, with all lowliness. And meekness, and the word meekness there means gentleness, with all long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Oh, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Verse 2, chapter 4 of Ephesians tells us how we serve. Humility, lowliness, and gentleness, and long suffering, that means Patient, long-suffering, very patient, very patient with people. I saw, I stopped at a gas station the other day, and there was a man, he was a street person, you can kind of tell, and he came up to this, he was a black fellow, he came up to another black fellow, asked him for some money, and the guy reached his pocket, gave him some money, he needed to get something. <clears throat> and he apparently knew the the man. And when that happened, I asked the guy, so you, you know that gentleman? He said, yes, he's, he's a sad case. And I said, he looks like a sad case. And I said, and who are you? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor, Pastor Daniel. And I, and I said, Pastor Daniel, let me pray for you in your ministry. And this black pastor, and I prayed with him. We prayed together right there at the gas pumps. You know, a lot of people think you've got to be in church or in a church setting to minister. No, sir. No, sir. People will tell you, I prayed with them in Walmart. I've had prayer sessions in Walmart. I have prayer sessions at the gas pumps. I have, I have witnessing and prayer sessions anywhere I have opportunity. I had uh, last week, I spent a little time on the beach. We had prayer sessions on the beach. 
Everywhere I go, I pray and share witness of Jesus. But let me tell you something. The humility, the gentleness, long-suffering. And here's this word, forbearing one another in love. Now, the word forbearing means bearing. Now, the, the old English word doesn't quite get it for us. So I'm going to give you the modern English equivalent put up with. And my Bible says that you're not only to have long suffering, but you're to put up with one another in love. That means if there are things about me you don't like, God says put up with it. If there's somebody sitting next to you and you don't like their cologne, put up with it. Or you don't like the way somebody sings a special, put up with it. Or you don't like the way somebody serves, put up with it. You don't like the way they dress, put up with it. Now, I'm not talking about moral issues. I'm talking about everything but that. You don't like the car they drive, how they spend their money, the kind of house they live in. It's irrelevant. God says just Put up with it. Even if they don't have a good personality, forbear, put up with each other in love. Folks, if I could put that verse, that is the key for New Testament believers. Because we can't do that. Through the years, most of the problems that I've had in churches with relationships with people, not my relationship with people, but people's relationships within the church, had to deal with this one issue. And here's another thing. Somebody came to me and said, and I hate to hear this, I traded so-and-so in the church for this, and it wasn't good. And I gave him this, and it was good. Uh, some kind of trade or deal that somebody, maybe they, they do carpet, and you needed carpet, and you had something they wanted, and there was a trade made. Look, do not bring that into the church. The church is not here to mediate your business dealings with people within the church or outside the church. I mean, if you'd got carpet from Carpet World somewhere out there and had a problem, you wouldn't come to me, would you? Well, if it's a main church, don't come to me with that. Uh, twice, I have refused to hear that. I've lost two families in churches in, uh, in the last ten years. But I told them, I'm sorry. I don't deal with it unless it's related to the church. The fact that you both have to be church members is irrelevant. God says, work your own problems out. Maybe you don't agree with that, but I do. And I've talked with others. Uh, I talked to a lawyer about it, who's a lawyer in Christian, the Christian realm, and he said that. He said the church should never become involved in things like that. Because the church then has a liability. Whatever judgment we render, then we're liable for it. So the church legally, morally, and ethically should never get involved in making judgments on people's business and trade. 
But I would say to those people, just forbear one another in love. Put up with one another. You go to that person and work it out as best you can. That's what I would say. And if you got something from them and it didn't work, what is the, what is the old Latin word for buyer beware? <laughs> Emptor or something? Uh, uh, anyway, buyer beware. You know, I don't I don't get involved in that. Uh, that's why I would never. I have sold used my used cars before. I made sure I never sold one to a person in the church. In case there was something wrong with it. By the way, I've never had anybody come back with a car and say there was something wrong with it. I've sold quite a few. But I would never sell to anybody in the church. People say, well, that's wrong. No, it's not. No, it's not. Just precautionary. Anyway, forbear, I've, I've lingered there long enough, but forbear one another in love. Uh, there's that word over and over again that Paul will emphasize. We talked about it in chapter 3. We'll talk about it in chapter 4. You're going to see it in almost every chapter of this book in some way or form or another. The only way that the church can actually get along is love. Um, And we need to remember that. Uh, Look in verse 15 of this same chapter. Speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Again, talking about spiritual growth. Speaking the truth in love. He wants us to speak the truth lovingly. Don't browbeat people with the truth. Don't browbeat them into submission. But speak the truth in love, that they may grow. When you do it lovingly, they may grow. And how does the body build up itself? How does the body fit together with itself? Verse 16, last phrase. Maketh increase the body unto its, the edifying of itself in what? Love. Love. I tell people it's the key. Anybody who knows anything about engines knows that no engine can run without oil. Well, let me tell you something. If you look at the church as an engine, the oil of the church is love. You've got to have the oil. Some people say, what's the Holy Spirit? Well, it is. But but what's the fruit of the Spirit? What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. Love. What's the greatest gift? 1 Corinthians 13. Love. What's the... What's the Characteristic by this shall all be known to my disciples. Love. You get it? You get it? Love. Love, love, love. And I'm not talking about a Beatles song either. Love, love, love. You know that one. Love, love, love. But, you know, that's the key to all this stuff. If you love your brothers the way you should, you say, well, that brother hoodooed me in that deal. Well, Forgive him and go on. And God, by the way, God's a good judge. He'll equal it out. Trust God for it. Who, who's in charge of vengeance and judgment and equaling things out? Me, the church, or God? God. Give it to the Lord. Say, okay, Lord, I felt like I was cheated. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you weren't cheated. You just think you were. But maybe you were by another brother in Christ. And things like that have happened. Hey, 
let it go. And you know what? Here's the thing. Show the brother who did it to you love. Love. That may change a heart. Well, we're, we're continuing to go here on that idea of love. The church of Jesus Christ cannot survive without love. It's built up. It's encouraged. It works with love. And without it, he does, it doesn't. Christian love is the principal tenet of Christian walk, as these verses point out. And it's the one thing that as we come to this Bible study in Ephesians, they lost. It's one of the things I call the big three. There are three spiritual things that I say are the big three in the church we have problems with. Okay? Here they are. And they talked about it in Sunday school. I said, you know, that's one of the biggest relevant things in the church. Forgiveness, thankfulness, and love. And really, the other two are based on love. If you love the Lord, you're thankful. If you love others, you're willing to forgive no matter what. Just ask yourselves, what would you not forgive? What would you not do? But here, when it talks about love, and and if you forbear one another, what's the result of that? Verse 3, look at verse 3. Here's the result of the love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. How do you keep the church in unity and peace? Love. I guarantee you when there is a problem, it's because people are not loving each other the way they should. Because if I love you, there's nothing more important in the world than than me seeing you not unhappy, but happy. And if we're all trying to satisfy one another, we'll trip over ourselves trying to be good to one another. Amen. I'd love to see that. We have, by the way, God bless you, First Baptist Church, a lot of love in this church. I'm thankful for the love I see here at First Baptist. It's good to see churches. We had that at North Kannapolis too. But it's good to see churches that really love each other and love people. That's so important. And this is one of those special churches. And I'm thankful that First Baptist is that way. Well, I can't say enough about love. But as we've started here in chapter 4, we're seeing how to serve the Lord. And one of the main things that we're seeing is that love is a big issue. And love is going to be a big issue for us. And you say, well, Pastor, I don't love the way I should. Well, then there's a key to that. And that's to go back, look at your sin, and look at how much God loved you through Jesus. Because God sent His Son into the world... To die for you. And that if you think about all the love that God had for you, in spite of all the things you've done wrong, and you understand that love, you want to respond to that. I mean, everybody would. Most normal people would. I think anyone would. People respond to love. And you say, well, how do I respond? Jesus is in heaven. How am I going to tell Jesus I love him? Tell your brethren, brethren, 
Love your brethren. Jesus said that. By the way, Jesus said that. If you want to, if you love me, love them. If you want to show your love and appreciation for what I did for you, show that love to them. If you want to show my forgiveness, forgive them. And so see, that's the key. So if you really want to understand and you lack love, you, you, you really got to go back to the cross. You've got to go back to the initial thing of salvation and say, what did Jesus do for me? How much did Jesus love me? And he overcame my sin. You have to understand that initial point that how you show the love of Christ in this world is to love others. And by the way, look, do yourself a favor. Do a Bible study sometime on the love of Christ. Go through the Gospels and look at how Jesus treated people, how compassionate he was, how he loved people that were sick, or people that were demon-possessed, or people that were just out of the way. You know, whether they couldn't walk, no matter what the situation was, Jesus was compassionate for those people, and he loved them. Maybe they were just hungry. He fed them. Why? Because he was a loving Savior, and he loved people. The children came to him, and he wrapped them up in his arms and gathered them. And hugged them because he loved them. He said to Israel, oh, how I would have gathered you as a mother had gathered your chicks, but you would not. He loved his people, his nation. So how do we show the love of Christ? By showing it to each other. And when we don't show that love, we're not showing Jesus. As a matter of fact, we're not even confessing that we know Jesus. If we show anything other than love, if we show disdain for others or we're not able to endeavor to put up with others, like the scripture says here, we're saying, you know, Jesus' love isn't enough. I don't want to be, I don't want to say that, do you? Jesus' love is enough. Well, listen, I think we're going to stop right there for the Bible study this week. And I think we're going, to, we're going to go into some issues here, starting in verse 4 and beyond. The unity of the church and how we are unified doctrinally. How we're unified in doctrine. Because that's important. You know, we can, we can love as much as we want. But if you say to me, Jesus wasn't virgin born, then we have a big issue. <laughs> If you say Jesus is not coming again, we have a huge issue. If you say Jesus' death was not good enough for my sins, we're going to have a big issue. And love can't overcome, even love can't overcome those issues. And we can handle it lovingly, but listen, if the doctrine isn't there, even love can't overcome that. And that that's the ecumenical movement, and we'll, talk, we'll touch on that a little bit maybe next time. And so read ahead in your Bible, be reading the book of Ephesians, and we'll take up there at chapter 4, verse 4, next time. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for those who are sick among us, those in need, those hurting, no matter what the hurt, source of the hurt. We pray for our nation, for its healing, its help right now. Lord, we really need you. We need you like we never have before. Lord, be with us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen.